Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Parents are to be pals to their kids. P means they're to be present. A means they're to be available. And L means they're to listen. Do you know how kids spell love? In fact, you know how anybody spells love. P-I-M-E. You say, well, I spend quality time. Oh, no, it is quality time, and there is quantity time. The truth is, there's one gift you can give your kids that they'll never forget. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, Thou Shalt Spend Time With Your Children, and shares why giving your time is the most important investment you can make in the life of a child. So stay with us. That powerful message is coming up on The Winning Walk. Now, here's Dr. Young with today's message, Thou Shalt Spend Time With Your Children. Our scripture today is found in 2 Samuel chapter number 14. 2 Samuel 14, verse 25. 2 Sam 14, 25. Now in all Israel was no one as handsome as Absalom, so highly praised. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no defect in him. Can you imagine that? No one was as handsome as Absalom. The Bible said there was not a physical defect in him. And he was highly praised. Quite a phenomenal young man, would you say? Let's prepare for the study of his word. Father Tabernacle among us today, speak to that cold heart, that hurting heart, that broken heart, that empty heart, that confused heart, that disturbed heart. Lord, do your work here. You speak. Let me get out of the way. Is our corporate prayer made in the personal, strong, cleansing, healing, saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I think most of you know that in the summer, we take something like a thousand junior high and high school kids to the beach. How many of you have ever been on a beach retreat with us? Would you lift your hand just out of curiosity all over? Counselors? It's quite an experience. And it's a great moment for me because I get to meet a new and a fresh many of your sons and daughters. And I can tell you so many of you as parents, a mom and dad, and sometimes single families, you're doing an absolutely fabulous job. I see your kids, and I just say, I'm telling you, there is hope 
There is hope for this generation. We saw a sampling of them up here this morning in one of our youth choirs. And just their presence sort of just lights us up. And I look at your faces and we smile and we say, there's some young people there who, who have that light in their eyes. I, I spoke to a group of parents this past week and I talked about light in the eyes of kids. We have on our church staff sort of little inside knowledge. And we talk about a child or a teenager and we say, boy, they have that light in their eyes. Or we say, have you noticed there's no light in their eyes? And that sounds mystical. You say, what are you talking about? I think that light is the image of God. It's a subjective thing, but I guarantee you something. I can walk you through these buildings and let you sit down with boys and girls who, who are preschool, and without exception, they'll have a light in their eyes. And they may be introverted, they may be extroverted. I'm not talking about that. You just look at them and there is a light in their eyes. And for some of those, as they grow and develop, that light gets brighter and they get to be teenagers and there's just a radiance there. But for others, the light gets dim. And for some kids, as you walk around and look at them, you'll see that the light seemingly has gone out. It's not that they're blind. Don't misunderstand me. But there's that little glow, that little light there. About one-third of the thousand kids I go to the beach with, I look at them and immediately I can see that the light is not there. And, and, and a lot of things contribute to the dimming of the light or the going out of the light in their eye or in your eyes. And when it's not there, you always go back, not to the kid. I go back to mother and I go back to dad. And therefore, I tell you, I come home from that retreat thrilled over about two-thirds of our kids, but absolutely brokenhearted over about a third. And I would like to be turned loose with some mothers and some dads and say, what are you thinking? Don't you see it? You're missing the most sacred, magnificent calling that God gives to human beings. Bringing up a child in the way that God would have them to grow. We have parenting classes for the kids and we ask them to write down some anonymous statements or some anonymous questions about their home, about their parents. And, and I have a whole file of these. This past summer, here are some of the questions and statements that were written and penned by our teenagers. I would just like you to pray for me so I can understand my mom. Second, what do you do with a controlling dad who is never, never around? 
How can I say to my mom, I love you, if I never in my life said that to her and I have never heard her say that to me? How can you deal with a parent that never wants to spend time with you? She comes home from work, fixes herself dinner, stays in her room sleeping and watching TV the rest of the night. When you come in to talk to her, she gets mad at you. How do I forgive and respect my dad whom I haven't talked to in five months? My mom is on her third marriage and they have been married for almost three years. Because of her and my past father figures, I have a trust problem with him and other guys. She wants me to love him and treat him as though he has always been my father. I try to explain my feelings, but she doesn't listen or understand what to do. Here is a letter received from a teenager who had, to the amazement of his parents, they thought out of a clear blue sky, he left home. But he wrote them a letter. Listen. Dear folks, thank you for everything, but I'm going to Chicago and try to start some kind of new life. You asked me why I did those things and why I gave you so much trouble, and the answer is easy for me to give to you, but I'm wondering if you will understand. Remember when I was about six or seven and used to want you to listen to me? I remember all those nice things you gave me for Christmas and my birthday, and I was really happy with the things about a week. At the time, I got the things, but the rest of the time during the year, I really didn't want presents. I just wanted all the time for you to listen to me like I was somebody who felt things too because I remember even when I was young, I felt things. But you said you were too busy. Mom, you are a wonderful cook and you have everything so clean and you were tired so much from doing all those things that made you busy. But you know something, Mom? I would have liked crackers and peanut butter just as well if you'd only sat down with me a while during the day and said to me, tell me all about it so I can help, maybe help you understand. I think all the kids who are doing so many things that grown-ups are tearing out their hair worrying about are really looking for someone who will have the time to listen a few minutes and who really will treat them as they would a grown-up who might be useful to them, you know, polite to them. If you folks had ever said to me, Mom and Dad, pardon me, excuse me, when you interrupted me, I'd have dropped dead. If anybody asked you where I am, tell them I've gone looking for somebody with time because I've got a lot of things I want to talk about. Love to all. He signed his name. Do you know how kids spell love? In fact, you know how anybody spells love. T-I-M-E. 
Do you see all these questions, these statements, these dilemmas? Almost everyone could have been handled and taken care of if the parents had loved those kids and if the parents would love those kids. And love is spelled, say it with me, That's how you spell it. You say, well, I spend quality time. Oh, no, it is quality time, and there is quantity time. Make no mistake about it. When I say the name David, most of us think of the sweet psalmist of Israel. We think of King David, whom the Bible says was a man after the heart of God. Think about that. A man after the heart of God. He was a military genius, unquestionably. He was a, a very successful monarch without reservation. He was a musician. He was a poet. He was brilliant. He was a magnificent king. David. If anybody had all the bases covered, look in the Bible, you have to say, it is that multifaceted prodigy of a man, David. But David, if you look at every one of his kids, they would have told you that because of their family life, their lives, without exception, ended in disaster. Is that a tragedy? Every one of the sons and daughters of David, with all the giftedness that they had, with all the privilege that they had, without exception, everyone ended up a disaster. Now, somebody might say, well, preacher, you need to read the Bible. You know, the Bible said when David was guilty of, of adultery and murder as a cover-up, that God punished him, and he did. And that's a part of this. It said the sword would never leave the household of David, and it didn't. But the disastrous story of son after son and daughter after daughter in the family of David, that doesn't tell the whole story of the judgment of God. Take his boy Absalom. We read about him. Absalom had a full sister by the name of Tamar. And she also, the Bible tells us, was beautiful. But also in David's family, there was a half-brother by the name of Amnon. And Amnon looked at his half-sister with lust. And David was so unconscious as to what was going on within his own household, with his own children, he set up his daughter Tamar as Amnon was pretending to be ill and David put Tamar there to wait on him while he was in the bed and before long he had raped his half-sister there in David's household. David knew about it. The Bible says he was angry, but he did nothing about it. He did not carry out the requirements of the law of God and the law of Israel. Therefore, two years went by, and Absalom took it upon himself to carry out the law that his father did not carry out. And so he had illegally, I might add, Amnon murdered, the one who had 
raped his sister. Absalom fled for his life, was in exile for a number of years. And finally, David, through an entree, brought him back to Israel. But David said, I don't want to see his face. Bring Absalom back to Israel, but I don't want to see his face. More years go by until finally someone else comes to David and said, let Absalom and his family back into the palace. Let them eat at your table. And so finally, reluctantly, David welcomed Absalom back to his family and he would eat meals with him and be under his roof. But David pretended he wasn't there. He totally ignored him. He just looked through him. He was there, but his dad didn't pay any attention to him until finally, if you know the Bible, you can read it in 2 Samuel chapter 13 through chapter 18 sometime exactly what took place. A revolution took place. Absalom led for the overthrow of the government and David had to flee the palace and had to leave Israel. And it looked like that Absalom would be the new king, but David counterattacked and David's army won and Absalom was fleeing. And David said, Deal gently with my son. In other words, don't kill my boy. I know he's led this revolution, but don't kill my boy. Spare him. Bring him back to me. But they didn't listen to David. They murdered Absalom. And when David heard about it, he goes to the gate of the city, and day after day they hear the king of Israel lamenting, Oh, Absalom, my son, Absalom, Oh, would to God I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Does anyone doubt that David, in those agonizing, tragic words, would not have gladly given his own life for his boy? I think he would. Oh, Absalom, I would have died. I wish I could have died in your place. But there's a dad who'd given his life for his son, but he wouldn't give him time. And I think every one of David's kids would have been like the family I heard about where the father operated the home like a drill sergeant. He literally did. He'd bring all the kids in, in every morning and after breakfast he would line them up and he would examine them if they brushed their teeth and comb their hair and, and he would give them orders for the rest of the day as they would all go out to school. And finally one day he operated his family year after year like a drill sergeant until finally a little guy said, Sir, is there any way I can transfer out of this chicken outfit? <laughs> I think every one of David's children would have transferred out of that family. Because David, with all of his vast resources and all of his giftedness, he was not a pal. To his kids. You say, well, pal. Now, I don't think uh, kids need mom and dad to be a buddy, a pal, a friend. It's always rather ridiculous to me to see mothers who try to be teenagers when their daughters are teenagers. They need a mom. They don't need another peer. But that happens sometimes. I'm not talking about that. Parents are to be pals to their kids. P means they're to be present. A means they're to be available. And L means there to listen. David was not available. David was not present. 
David did not listen. He wasn't a pal. So what am I talking about here? I'm talking about being present. Mom, dad, you have to be present. And this is what I call scheduled time. You have to be there for your kids. I'm talking about when they get up. I'm talking about when they have breakfast. I'm talking about at least have an evening meal together. I'm talking about being there to play with them on the floor, to play with them in the yard. I'm talking about a daily presence in the family, a carpool presence, a timeout presence. You are there for them. It is important, parents, that you be there and give them the highest priority in your schedule. Let me ask you a question. Is it a rare thing for your family to sit down and have an evening meal together? Is that a rare thing, an exceptional thing, or is that a normal thing? It must become normality. You say, well, I, I'm busy, I have a lot. It must become normality. And when they go to bed at night, what a wonderful teaching, listening, praying, once upon a time moment. Are you there? As they're little and even as they grow larger and larger? I, I call this schedule time. Cal Ripken, who will be in the Hall of Fame as soon as he retires because he played in more major league games consecutively without missing than anyone in the history of baseball. Cal Ripken was asked once where he learned the secrets of being a father. What was the best advice he'd ever heard about being a father? And he said a teammate once said to him that every one of your children is a blank tape that is constantly running, recording information. And then he looked at him and said, whose information do you want on that tape? And Cal Ripken, with those cold, steel blue eyes, said, my information. And that's it. You have to be present. It has to have the highest priority. And that's schedule time all day, every day, if it's at all possible, because you want your information, I pray, recorded on that ever-running tape which represents your son and represents your daughter. But not only is there schedule time, and that's a daily thing, but also there's spectator time. You say, well, you know, what does it do for me to sit there and watch the recital or, or watch my kids sing or go to a little a dance or go to a birthday party or, or go to all these events that they have, an athletic event? I, I just sit in the stands. That's a spectator presence, and it's very important. You're there for them. That's what it all is about. You want to be there. That's the genius of being a father and a mother. You're there. You're there for them. It's a spectator presence. And I told this church when my boys were coming up, if they had an activity at 11 o'clock or 9 o'clock Sunday morning, I would be there and I would not be in this pulpit. Oh, that's not very pious. It's not very pious, but that's what I was about as a daddy. Highest priority. 
sometimes just a spectator presence. Then there's those special times. I used to think the special times were the most important times. You know, you go to a theme park with your kids or you go camp out or you go away on a trip or you go to a special event that they're involved in. The special times. The special times are, are quality times and there's some quantity in it, but that's not really the defining thing. It's the day by day by day that we engage in. That's the most important thing. So, first of all, there has to be presence, mom and dad. You have to be there. That's the P of POW. The A is availability. Availability. And that's unscheduled time, isn't it? You just have to be available to them. Now, how many of you here work for somebody? You have a boss. Would you lift your hand? If you have a boss, lift your hand. I'm going to give that Honda away one Sunday. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. If you have a boss, lift your hand up. Well, 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 well. Stand up, please, sir. Tell us your name. Jeff Griffin. This is unrehearsed, isn't it, Jeff? Yes. <laughs> All right, Jeff. You have a boss. Let's say for illustration, what do you do? I'm a patent attorney. All right, a patent attorney. Let's say, for example, that you were given a special project, okay, by your boss. And he said it's very, very important. And you went into his office this past Wednesday, and you went to his secretary, and you said, you know, I need to see him just for a minute. I need, I, I've got come to something. I want to ask him just one simple question. I need to see him. And she said, let me see. And she goes in and comes back and says, he'll see you next Tuesday. And you say, well, you know, is he going to be in town? Yes, he's going to be here. Oh, yes. And, she, and he said, you said, I just want to see him. This is something I can't ask you. I never want to ask you one question. It won't take 30 seconds if he'll just see me any time, day or night, between just as soon as possible, next three or four or five days, but not next Tuesday. She said, just a minute, I'll go in and see. You go back in. He comes out and said, no, he'll see you next Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Jeff, how would you feel? Uh... Maybe the project wasn't that important, or I probably wouldn't feel very good, yeah. You wouldn't feel very important, would you? That's true. Thank you. I rest my case. <laughs> good job. <clears throat> Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly how your kids feel when they come to you and want to talk with you, and you say, let's wait, I'm too busy, I have too much going on. It's like the little kid who went to his mom, wanted to ask her something, she said later, and went to dad, he said, no, I'm busy, and went to her brother and sister, and they didn't want to get involved. He said, everywhere I go, I get a busy signal. I hate busy signals. I call somebody, mm -mm. I get mad about it. I don't know why. <laughs> but that's what kids feel. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Inevitably, my boys, when they wanted to talk, it would be, guess when? Saturday night, late. I don't work but one day a week. <laughs> and they want to talk Saturday night. I remember when... When Ed came in as a little guy, he'd been off, and 
he, he came into our room and he began to talk and talk and talk. I said, son, look, I've got to work in the morning. I've got to preach. I've got to, you go to bed, get out of here. We'll talk to you any other time, but not Saturday night. And boy, he went out of the room and Joe Beth said to me, my pastor, Joe Beth, <laughs> she said, she said to me, she said, listen, Edwin, when they want to talk, whenever it is, I think we better listen. And I don't think Ben ever came in. He did a lot of times on Saturday night, debriefing him on a date. <laughs> do, do you want me to push this, Ben, anymore? <laughs> but then they'd stay up sometime really 12, 1, 2 o'clock, and I'd be lying there saying, oh, Lord, I've got to get up. Only day I work, you know. But listen, I don't think ever again, to my knowledge, did my boys come at whatever inopportune time it was that mom and dad was not available wherever they are. Ladies and gentlemen, mom and dad, you have to always have an open door and an open heart and an open agenda. Don't put them on a busy signal. They know if you're the highest priority in their life. Kurt Warner, who's arguably the best quarterback in the NFL, you know, MVP of the Super Bowl, a wonderful Christian man. When they won the NFL championship game, they had a tremendous celebration. St. Louis Rams won the championship game, and they wanted all the players to be there. Kurt said, I'm sorry, guys, I can't go with you. I can't be a part of this celebration that all the city was coming to. I promised my family. He went home and had pizza with his wife and his kids. And his kids put a sign over the table that says, great quarterback, greater dad. And by the way, he had a blessing and prayed in Jesus' name before he ate that meal and USA Today recorded that, and that's a miracle in and of itself. <laughs> the kids know that this NFL quarterback, their number one priority. My dad, not over football, not over fame, not over television interviews. It's us. Be available. That's the A of POW. And the L is listen. Now, you, you don't just sit there with your eyes open. You, you, you listen. I, I remember, and I, I've told this before, Ben, I'll never forget this. I, ben wanted to tell me something. He's a little bitty guy, and I was reading the paper, and I said, okay, son, I, I'm listening, and he kept telling me. And finally, he went there, and he just crashed through the paper. He said, I want to see your eyes. <laughs> you don't remember that. You see, I was listening, but I was not hearing. And a lot of parents listen, but they don't know what they're hearing. For example, if, if your daughter comes in and, and slams down her math book and says, I hate math. I don't think this will ever do anybody any good, and I don't like my teacher, and my teacher doesn't like me. Now, you heard that, but what was she really saying? What was she saying? She was saying, I don't understand this, I'm a little behind, and I'm too embarrassed to ask for help. But what did you hear? I don't like it. 
you have to listen. For example, some of you have teenagers. Do they ever roll their eyes at you and you say something? Uh, when you talk with them, do they get fidgety and, and they want to leave? Uh, when you come in the room, sometimes you feel they're going out of the room. You ever notice that? And even some parents who have been pals, they've been present, they've been available, and they've listened. They say, oh, I don't know what's going wrong with these teenagers. All of a sudden, you know, they feel estranged and, and they're moving out from me. And, and sometimes you go and try to deal with it physically or, or, or harshly and, and say, I don't understand. And we, we give on a lecture series. Parents, do you not know what's happening with your teenager? You know what the word adolescent means? It means half adult, half child. Why do they step back from mom and dad normally to a degree for a while in this transitional time? Why do they do that? Mom and dad represents childhood, right? See? And then they're pulling back. There may be nothing involved. Don't read too much in the rolling of the eyes or the walking out of the room. They don't run and jump in your lap and hug you like they did perhaps when they were children because they're adolescents. So we have to listen, but also we have to hear and understand what they're really saying and what their actions are saying, their body language is saying. And therefore, we have to find new ways to stay involved in their lives and, and, and to back up a step, but yet remain very, very, very close. You see it? So time is the, is the thing. Now, let me tell you something. If you express love and you do not give time, it leads to anger. You got that? Love without time leads to anger. Oh, I love you, but there's no time. That won't work. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. We've talked about that, haven't we? I'm also saying love without time leads to anger because they begin to see that you don't really love enough to give them any time. Solomon, the night after he dedicated the temple, God spoke to him clearly and audibly. Solomon wrote it down and God said to Solomon, I will give you my name forever. And I will give you my eyes and I will give you my heart. He was talking about the Ark of the Covenant. When the temple was built, the Ark represented the literal presence of God. And God was saying to the builder of the temple and to all the people who came there to worship in that temple, that I give you my name and I'll give you my eyes, and I'll give you my heart. But you say, what happened? 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed. You know, what happened to that? Now we come to Jesus Christ who died on a cross for us, and now your body and my body becomes a temple of God. And when we invite Jesus Christ into our life, he dwells within us and the Holy Spirit empowers us and the promise continues in your life when God says to every believer, I'll give you my name, 
I'll give you my eyes. Our Heavenly Father is watching over me. And I'll give you my heart. As God has done for us in Jesus Christ, so we must for our children. We give them our name. We give them our eyes. We give them our hearts. And they become our pal because we are present. Schedule time. We are available. Unscheduled time. And we listen. That's the quiet time. How do you spell love? T-I-M-E. If it doesn't happen, mom and dad, this is the result. A child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. And he was talking before I knew it, and as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be like you, Dad. You know, I'm going to be like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I've got a lot to do. He said, that's okay, and he walked away. But his smile never dimmed, and he said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon and little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. Well, he came home from college just the other day. So much a man, I just had to say. Son, I'm proud of you. Can't you sit for a while? He shook his head and said with a smile, what I'd really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys. See you later. May I have them, please? And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon. When are you coming home, Dad? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. I've long since retired. My son's moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you. Son, if you don't mind, he said, I'd love to, Dad, if I can find the time. You see, my new job's a hassle, and the kids have the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you. Dad, it's sure nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he's grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man on the moon, when you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll get together then. You know, we'll have a good time then. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Let me say something clearly with the heads bowed and eyes closed. There are a lot of parents here that need to make radical changes in your lifestyles right here. 
with every head bowed, every eye closed, let me say that one, one more time. There are parents here who need to make radical, radical lifestyle changes if you're going to be a pal, present, available, and listening to your kids. There are mothers and fathers, husbands and wives that need to make radical lifestyle changes if you're going to be the kind of wife, the kind of husband you need to be to model before these kids what they need to see in the love you have for your mate. Now I'm talking about radical lifestyle changes. You may have to throw some hobby, some thing you love very much away in order to do it. I think about 99% of us need to cut off the television set and other racket about 99% of the time would be a major step in the right direction, but I'm biased about that. Take that for what it's worth. But I'm saying there are parents that need to make radical lifestyle changes today. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. If you're one of those parents, you don't know exactly how it's going to work, but if you're one of those parents, I want you and no one else looking around to lift your hand up high and put it down and say, yes, I need to deal with that, Pastor. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Moms, dads, balcony, yes. Put your hand up, put it down. Yes. I need to seriously make radical lifestyle changes right now. Anybody else? I mean, dozens and dozens of hands have gone up. Anyone else? No one's looking but me. I hope and pray. And I, I don't even see your faces. Just lift your hand, put it down. Yes. Yes. Father, I pray for these fathers and mothers. I pray you'll give courage to all these who lifted their hands, the scores of them who did, and others who didn't and need to bring conviction to them so they will discover the beauty and the joy and the privilege of loving their kids by giving them quality and quantity, T-I-M-E. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.